Welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Colette Bennett and I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know, we have three different types of podcasts. We have our 10-minute lesson series, which is a very brief overview of policy areas, just touching on the main topics that we think people should know about. We have a seminar series, which is a look back at some of the experts, both national and international, from our various seminars and conferences across the years. And then we have our interview series, where we chat to a number of experts on a range of different topics. Today is one of those. I'm joined by Keith Adams of the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice. And today we're talking about the Irish prison system, the various reports, some published, some not published, the various problems within the system, and then some areas for reform. I really enjoyed this conversation with Keith and I hope you will too. It was certainly an eye opener for me. So Keith, thank you so much for, for doing this and for Thanks coming for on the podcast again. It's great to see you. You're looking yeah. well. Thank you very much. It's, it's great. I don't often get invited back twice, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take that as a good thing. Absolutely. You're just too interesting. Yeah. Um, as well, we're going to talk today, slightly different from our last one, um, is is the Irish prison system and some of the challenges that we're hearing about um, at the moment, certainly that have been in the news. But if I can ask you, I suppose, your own background in this space, um, because we had talked before on on housing issues um so i suppose what is the interaction with with your organization and and prisons why is that such a concern for you yeah um so i suppose my my own background is i um i i, I have a background in uh social policy so as part of that was kind of studying criminology and kind of i had developed kind of an interest in prisons and kind of how we how we think about punishing people in society um but I suppose in in my own capacity, my role, I'm with the Jesuit Centre for about four years now, and kind of my current title is Penal Policy Advocate. So that's kind of a, a research and advocacy role within kind of the prison space. Um, but then thinking about the centre itself, we have a, the, the pr- prison policy um, would have been one of the, the core uh, areas of justice that would have prompted kind of the creation of the centre in the early 1980s as well and it's kind of carried right through um so there's always been and I think that's with kind of the with Jesuits who have been chaplains within prisons that have had a lot of that have accompanied prisoners um so th- there's always been that kind of close connection um and I suppose there's there's not there's few there's not that many working in that kind of advocacy space in Ireland so it's kind of it's an area that we're um, happy to be in and kind of um and as we'll kind of talk about later kind of the 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 justice issues that kind of are uh, that are present within our criminal justice system make it um, a very uh, pressing kind of area for us to be in. So, and I suppose just for those who may not be as as close to the prison system um, as perhaps you and your organisation are, can you give us a, a brief overview of the Irish prison system? I mean, what are we talking about? How how many prisons do yeah. we have? How many prisoners do we have? Yeah, um, I suppose what's what's very helpful to start, and, and I can I can uh, in, in policy terms I can circle back to that. We'll put a pin in that, and I'll come back to that. Um, but I suppose <laughs> what, what what's what's helpful is uh, it kind of because being working in prison policies, it's it's a funny kind of thing in that often there's months or maybe a year where there's nothing in the news about prisons, um, and then within a space of maybe a few weeks, there's a flurry of news stories on various issues. And then you're very busy, and then you're trying to you're trying to keep on top of it all and being aware of it. So, 
what so the last two weeks has been one of those busy periods where there's a lot of things have kind of emerged and i won't get this all kind of in chronological order but to give to give kind of a quick overview of kind of what has precipitated the current focus on prisons and overcrowding so i think about about two weeks ago there was um uh, there was a media report, I think it was the Irish Times, so they reported that there was there was 170 people on mattresses within the Irish prison service and about seven, I think about half of these, about 85 men in Mountjoy Male Prison were on mattresses. So this kind of started and then I think it, a couple of days after that then the Prison Officers Association, their annual conference was on in Galway and they kind of had some media coverage of that and they were kind of talking about kind of the, the effects of overcrowding, both from a uh, primarily from a safety point of view for the safety for uh, prison officers having to work in kind of overcrowded environments um so kind of the increased risk of um of, of violence um and kind of uh kind of uh the atmosphere and kind of the the work environment being really deteriorating with that but then they also flagged a number of things about safety issues as well because with with mattresses on the floor so particularly occasions where you have cells in Mountjoy that are designed for maybe one person um, and then suddenly you find a mattress on the floor the door opens inward so if you have two prisoners who worst case scenario are maybe both incapacitated for any reason and and prison staff then have to make a quick entry into that cell um, if a mattress is on the floor and they they just can't get in so that's a huge safety concern and they flag that and rightfully so um, so then as further then from that there was there was then a report after that that there's 18 prisoners within the prison service um uh, that are on the waiting list for the central mental hospital for psychiatric or for forensic psychiatric treatment and there um and a number of those were being uh, barrier handled as well which is a, is kind of an occurrence where you have five or six prison officers kind of suit up in full riot gear to move that prisoner through the prison um, whether that's just from their cell to um, to maybe a, a session or to a meeting that they may have or whatever. So a very kind of labour intensive kind of practice as well. And I think there was also a report after that that five prison officers had been had been injured um, in dealing with someone who was very, very um, mentally unwell as well. So that was kind of another thing. And then the the prison chaplain's reports from 2021 were then published. Um, I don't know if this was a case of it was just, um, it seemed like a good way to dump all the news out together. Um, it almost felt like a bank holiday where you just kind of get everything out. Kind of, um, so so then the prison chaplain's reports were published in from 2021. So two, two years ago, kind of a huge delay on these for the sense or kind of the common refrain of GDPR kind of considerations was the justification for this. I think the, the, some of those reports then flagged the high prevalence of prisoners with mental health. And then interestingly, what they also flagged as well were was the high prevalence of prisoners with special needs, and um, particularly in women's prisons, to, to the degree that, that kind of whatever um, kind of special needs or developmental kind of uh, deficits they may have had they couldn't understand they couldn't comprehend the nature of the punishment and why they were in prison as well so this kind of so this was kind of, this was kind of adding more kind of color and more to the overall picture of who we have within prisons and then from there then the minister for justice simon harris he made a commitment and i think this was in response to i think this was actually at the prisoner office association conference where he kind of committed to in the next five years 
to provide another 620 spaces um, within our prison. So it's effectively bringing our prison population from our prison capacity, official stated capacity from 4,400 spaces up to over 5,000 spaces. His rationale for this was that we would, based on kind of population projections, this is kind of this is kind of the path we need to take, that we need to provide more spaces to deal with a, an increased population. Interestingly, whenever you kind of looked at the at the figures of, of population projection, is that in the next, by 2030, I think the population is projected to maybe, at the most optimistic level, it's projected to increase by about 9%. So based on kind of high fertility rates and kind of a high inward migration, at the, the most people we'll have would be about an extra, an additional 9% population. But the minister is actually committing to increase prison population by another 14%. Um, so even even based on his rationale for that, he, it it was um, out of line with what's being committed to. So then from there, and then I think it, it kind of, it's all kind of culminated then in, I think the minister then visited the new, the new, I think, B-Wing in Limerick Mail Prison, which was opened on just at the weekend and i think it's for an extra 102 spaces so and i suppose positively here this ends the practice of slopping out which was still happening out in limerick prison which is where a prisoner has to urinate or defecate in a bucket overnight and then kind of throw it out in the morning so this ends up practice but again uh this kind of a further kind of expansion of prison capacity as well um so that's kind of a whistle stop of where of what's kind of prompted all the kind of well as as much as much kind of interest as there is ever in prisons but um but then to kind of get back to kind of your initial question of kind of what of kind of the scale and size of the irish prison service so and the prison estate is essentially it's about 12 prisons so there's 10 closed prisons there's two open prisons both male open prisons there's no there's no open prisons for women uh in relation to official capacity is about 4400 the ips have come out and said that Operationally, the prison capacity is about four thousand two hundred due to kind of due to kind of the need for separation of certain groups of prisoners, particularly in relation to kind of gangland and kind of gang affiliations and such things. So, uh, the, the state in in, re, in realistic terms, it's about four thousand two hundred. So the capacity at the moment is about four thousand six hundred. So we're hundreds over capacity in relation to kind of prison staff. Um, it's a huge employer of people. Um, the IPS employs about three and a half thousand people. Um, and it has a budget of uh, I think 420 million for uh, for 2023. So a very sizable organization um, as part, kind of under the auspices of the Department of Justice. To give you a sense of kind of the size size of the prison, so um, the two women's prisons kind of they range in size from 28 spaces in Limerick to about 146 in uh, Mountjoy Female Prison. Men's prisons, then, they kind of range in scale from about 115, I think, in Shelton Abbey and about 140 in Arbor Hill. Arbor Hill is the prison where it's, it's predominantly people that are found guilty of sexual offences. But then that's one side of scale. But then it goes it goes to huge numbers on the other side where I think the Midlands is about 875 prisoners. Mountjoy is 755. So you're, you're kind of getting into almost a thousand. Like you're getting into kind of a super prison at this stage. Um, Wheatfield itself is over 600. So 
very big presence on the other side of thing. And then I suppose other differentiations is I mentioned Arbor Hill already. Clover Hill is the main remand prison. So people that haven't been found guilty of a sentence yet, um, they're remanded to Clover Hill. That's kind of a whistle stop tour. Um, I suppose another thing that's important is probably just the cost of the prison space as well. So if one person in prison for a year is about 80,000 euros, and that's kind of the, the cost of that. And you mentioned there, Keith, closed prisons and open prisons. For, yeah. for those who wouldn't know, explain the difference. Yeah, so uh, closed prisons. So the closed prisons would be kind of medium to high security. So prisoners wouldn't be. It's, it's just kind of it's it's kind of a question of the this kind of the security regime that that's impl- that's implemented. So there's much more in cell time and kind of a uh, in a closed prison. Um, whereas an open prison, it's a much uh, it's it's a less kind of security focused regime as well. And kind of there. Um, uh, so there's based there's one based in in Cavan, um, and then there's one based in in Wicklow as well. Um, so it's just kind of the nature of the kind of the security. So often often open prisons are kind of as almost as a reward for kind of good behaviour. So it's kind of like a step down, kind of a, as a means of kind of preparation and reintegration back to kind of to looking towards the end of your sentence as well. So it's interesting that there is none for women as well, because particularly with women typically not being flight risks and, and certain things out there but it, it just hasn't happened i think it's been discussed for years but um hasn't happened so w- women have no option for open prison that it's it's a closed prison and then straight to kind of the end of your sentence there's no kind of um almost progression to an open prison to back then um is that is that a numbers thing is it perhaps that there isn't sufficient numbers of women who are imprisoned to to create another space or within the system, you know, to have that kind of dual thing of an open and a closed. Um, like what are what are the gender breakdowns within the system? Yeah, so gender wise. So at the moment, we're uh, about the general rule of thumb is um, women make up about five percent of the prison population. So in that there's, there's typically I think at the moment there's about 210 between 200 and 210 women in prison in Ireland. And then that, then the total population is about four, over four and a half thousand. So, but I suppose, so I, it, may, it may be a capacity thing, but I think that's not to say that like the Doka Centre could be like, that was originally designed as a much less of a security focused prison as well. Um, But I suppose one of the issues is that I think is that, and we can talk about it a bit as well, kind of, um, the length of time people are spending in prison as well is is quite an is an interesting way to analyze uh, kind of the current situation in prison. So the most recent figures we have on on sentencing um, and and on what what people are there for and how long they're in prison for are from 2021. So we'll get more recent figures towards the end of the summer because the annual report will be published in easily in the summertime for 2022. But just just looking at 20. 21 itself and 2021 does is, is a bit of a it's it was a year when we were reopening after covid as well so the prison the justice the the court system wasn't operating at full capacity as well so there's kind of there is kind of it it's it's an outlier compared to previous years so but even just looking at that in 2021 there were about i think about four thousand people were committed under sentence so they were convicted found found guilty in court they received a sentence and then they were sent to prison so about four thousand people were sent to prison of that about 800 people received a sentence of less than uh, three months uh so and but overall about 70 percent of people received a sentence of less than a year but then whenever you look at that from a gender perspective um 85 percent of women received a sentence of less than a year so women are going to prison for very short, short spells of time. And then if we even reduce it even further and just look at 
the number of people who go for less than six months. Like six months is a very short amount of time. And if you're thinking about rehabilitation, there's questions over what's actually achievable in six months. So half half of prisoners received a sentence of less than six months. And then when you consider that from a, a gender perspective, it was about 60, 61% of women received a sentence of less than six months as well. And there's various reasons for this as well. And one thing that seems to be said anecdotally or that I've heard numerous times is that there's almost uh, judges, I think, feel the need to issue that often will present to to court as in, in particular li- lives will be very chaotic due to a number of reasons like I think due to due to poverty and material issues and it'll also be all the kind of the all, all the all the issues that kind of come with that too like the maybe possible addiction and mental health various things so women will often present probably quite chaotic um in court as well and so anecdotally there seems to be a kind of a, patern- a paternalistic kind of a effect a kind of impression and this is probably out of just natural human kind of compassion for for a person that's in chaos and so i think it's the idea that a person will go to prison for a short spell they'll get a time to kind of they'll they'll get a they might get some interventions they'll get maybe a mental health kind of assessment they'll get certain services that aren't available from outside um, they'll get a chance to kind of maybe stabilize and go. But I suppose the issue then with these short sentences for particularly for women, because women are often cases, they're primary caregivers. So they'll often be caring for for children, maybe older relatives too. a short sentence. Even even a spell away every three months can cause you to lose your rented accommodation. You could lose a placement somewhere. So um, so it, it instead of actually adding stability, it creates more and more instability that children may go to care. That That's just causing huge issues when you kind of get emerged. And then there's kind of the, I suppose, the trauma and harm of kind of being separated. And, and often when we look at kind of female offending too, like I think if we look at kind of female offending, I think the primary women reason that women are sent to prison is I think 140 women were convicted for theft and related offences in uh, 2021 and and we have to bear in mind that only about 300 women were or sorry not only 300 women but 300 women were sent so about half of the offenses are or sorry did i get that right i probably did um I, i'll assume i got it right so but just to make the point that most women are sent for death and if we then kind of factor that in and kind of if we start to think it through and consider that if if women are primary caregivers and that they're um have uh, are trying to provide for families and and poverty is becoming a more thing so often these are kind of um thefts and offenses to provide for others so they aren't kind of they aren't kind of crimes of um of i suppose uh a kind of luxury kind of thefts but they're they're just to kind of provide very material things for themselves and for family as well so then I suppose we have to kind of then I suppose to just to kind of conclude on that point then it raises kind of huge issues then when you have when you have judges that maybe feel that I can't, there's nothing, I can't divert this person to the community to get maybe the mental health and addiction support they need, but I have to send them to prison. And then kind of the, and all the kind of things that come with that too. So, so it kind of shows that kind of things are, the, things are almost, there's an inversion with where services are available, that there's maybe services available in prison that aren't available freely on the outside um, issue. Um, yeah. And you and I spoke before about reports on on violence against women in prisons, and um, that they had essentially been kind of shelved or mothballed or yeah, you know yeah. they're they're not out. Um, yeah. Has there been any more progress in relation to that? Yeah, um, 
I suppose uh, uh, I, I wish I was the bearer of good news, but um, unfortunately, those um, reports are are shelved still. Um, there was, I think, I can't remember when we last spoke, Colette, but there was um, the Irish state had its had a periodic review before the the UN Committee Against Torture, and part of the so you're you're well familiar with kind of how kind of the human rights kind of mechanisms work. So typically civil society will kind of make submissions to kind of committee members to then to kind of almost kind of the shadow report. So the state kind of makes their report, then uh, civil society then make kind of their shadow report. So then based on kind of these uh, kind of this input from civil society, then committee members kind of actually had quite a focus on it was actually good to see. They were very focused on female imprisonment, um, particularly on the issues of overcrowding and these unpublished reports. But I suppose it was it was an interesting moment. I was I was watching it kind of live because the UN kind of screen all this stuff. So it's all very transparent. But the state um and the members of the Department of Justice who went there, um uh to to the, they were they didn't answer the question. So what often happens is all the committee members take turns, they ask all their questions. And then the state then has the afternoon to kind of make they kind of issue all the response together in one section. Um, but they left out the, the issue of women's prison, which was which was clearly raised by a committee member. Um uh, and so then the state in their or sorry, the UN the committee against torture in their final kind of response um after the state's response, they then asked about these reports again and said that you have avoided answering this question. So then in the time after this, the state then committed to producing an interim report based on these investigation reports by the former inspector of prisons. Um, and so, so even this interim report, which we have no sense of what it will entail, hasn't been published either. So so now there's, so in, instead of any reports being published, there's now an additional report sitting beside the other reports there. So, and I suppose this, I was, I was very surprised by it as well. Um, I'm not sure how others were, but I think it's, because the Irish state, um, the government are very, I think there's, there's a sensitivity to kind of outside kind of perspective of how we're perceived. Um, so we'd be very, I think Ireland would be very loath to be perceived as failing in any particular area that we'd often, because I think human human rights mechanisms have had kind of very positive kind of effects in lots of areas because they've shone a light on various things. But this this kind of very, very deliberate kind of avoiding a very pertinent issue on purported violence against women in prison and kind of the various other things that 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 probably come with that too. And it was the first time I'd probably seen kind of almost a we don't really care what what the per- perception of this is as well. And then kind of it's a quick kind of response of we'll we'll generate an interim report. But then actually when the public spotlights office again, that can just sit on the shelf too. So so I suppose ultimately I suppose it raises maybe some concerns of our of our state's commitment to penal reform too. The, the basic commitment um, to imprisonment is kind of a humane, safe and dignified kind of uh, imprisonment. And if that's if you can't provide that, um, then that's a huge issue. So like there's other kind of reform things we can talk about later on. But I think that's kind of the that's kind of the foundational commitment. And if you're willing to kind of push that to one side um, and kind of avoid it uh, it's 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 worrying too i think um yeah no it's it's certainly it is certainly concerning like that it's you know and again as you, you said it before very early on the nature of this thing is that there'll be a spotlight for a short window of time and then yeah. it's gone again and yeah. there was that spotlight kind of early last year and then it went 
And now we've got a spotlight because of the overcrowding issue and the the kind of coincidental association meeting. Um, And I I suppose I've I've more questions now for you than I've probably compared you more. But, you know, you you talked about the very short um, sentences, particularly when it comes to to women. Um, I suppose suppose it, it raises two questions for me. One is the rate of recidivism. Uh, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that properly, but, yeah, but no. you know, the, the, the repeat offending. You're trying uh, to impress me there, Colette. Yeah. It's working. It's working. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and the second is, what is the point? You know, if it's a case of three months in, three months out, and I totally understand that point around yeah. if the services aren't in the community and you can get services within, then maybe is that the rationale for it? But as you very well pointed out, that comes with additional harm, particularly if there are caring responsibilities um, and the de- the long term damage that that three or six months away from the home and the, that whole kind of within another system for children. Um, and yeah. because it's just it's so fundamental. So yeah. what's the purpose of the system? And, and it's interesting, I think, just thinking about Mountjoy Women's Prison as well, is that like the, I think there was a news report there as well, which I, I didn't mention, where I think five five women were together in locked back into a single cell as well. So I think maybe what perceptions of what because the the docus has moved from what its original it, like its original kind of conception was to be kind of single cell kind of a, a, a kind of a very almost a therapeutic kind of environment um, where it wasn't just cells that people could women could progress through their sentence there was kind of houses or, or kind of flats and apartments and things out there so um but now like the, but that was originally when it had a capacity it, the capacity was about 80 but now, now it's up to like 100 and 145 that every kind of single cell has now been kind of doubled up and that I think the state are looking for or the prison service are looking for bunk beds and various things so so like there's the so the, whatever perception there is that female imprisonment is is a different kind of environment than men's imprisonment in Ireland is probably outdated at this stage so um and to be honest I I suppose I suppose one thing to to maybe to understand maybe the growth in uh short sentences of, of those less than six months because all all international evidence and, and and the state know it um and i suppose the state know it as well um and i think that all evidence suggests that those are those do more harm than good that there's no kind of if, if your aim is maybe rehabilitation that's what can be achieved in that time um but i suppose one way to understand kind of maybe the proliferation of short sentences is the kind of the absence of community intervention so the absence of kind of alternative sanctions in the community so so I, I suppose judges maybe feel that like I think there is there is cases where people are coming back with maybe like I suppose long like a long kind of history of being before judges because often maybe they're not there for maybe just a single offence they maybe have a, a long history of kind of petty theft and uh, maybe public order offences and maybe they get maybe they get off or maybe it kind of gets dismissed for maybe a couple uh, and then ultimately the judge has maybe seen the person a few too many times and then they said look this time I'm going to give you the uh, the short sharp shock um, of a spell imprisonment this is going to scare the scare the, the woman right and then that's going to be everything solved um, and then the person's back before them <laughs> another kind of couple of months and then kind of the this this circle kind of uh, repeats kind of ad infinitum. So so like I think, but I think the absence. I, I suppose it comes to the point where maybe the judiciary kind of feel that they have to they have to give a, a kind of a sanction 
but there are no with with the with the prison being kind of the predominant sanction within the criminal justice system in Ireland and our response to kind of public order and social order um that that they have to they feel they have to do that whereas if there were kind of alternatives so if there were the diversions to kind of community-based supports kind of uh, I think there's like I think the probation service because I suppose with interesting as well and I, th- I think it's a thing that that I think civil society can now actually make a kind of a strong argument for I don't kind of I don't tend to use kind of the the financial kind of arguments based on prison because I think there's I think there's more weighty kind of ethical arguments to be kind of made about prison but I think we can also make the financial argument now because like for example there's a new women's prison uh which has been built in Limerick so it's for a capacity of about 50 women um kind of built along the kind of the roots of kind of trauma-informed practice so this idea of kind of um less about kind of security more about kind of uh really getting kind of supports to kind of um kind of successfully integrate and kind of with an understanding of kind of the harms that maybe people have suffered um so that that 50 spaces cost 53 million so that's about a million for a cell and now the minister is kind of committed to 620 spaces so a total of about 400 cells so even if we take that at kind of the cost of Limerick prison about a million a cell you're looking at probably well up over 400 million um and then with the state's record of uh, cost controls delays um kind of even construction inflation costs at the moment and the kind of the slowness of them coming down you're you're entering into a time where uh, the cost of this could be exponential so but this clearly demonstrates that there is money there um and there's money that that can be assigned and unfortunately it's all been assigned to kind of capital funding to prisons um whereas the probation service could like like that can be funded to kind of really increase kind of the role of probation officers social workers kind of give alternatives to kind of these sentences as well because often people can be maintained in the community and receive kind of the the kind of the addiction mental health supports they need as well so i think i think it's probably i think these these short sentences endure because of the lack of alternatives to the, the community but but they've been very slow at kind of at, at these being really kind of generated at, at kind of a scale that's kind of needed too it's that siloed thinking that we go on about all the time yeah. um but it is that thing of well we can't give it to you because you're more health and yeah. your justice so yeah. we'll keep it and ring benzit and do this with it yeah. um and it also strikes me it's the there's kind of an analogy in the the homelessness side of things as well in that we're going to spend like hundreds of millions on yeah. emergency accommodation yeah. and roughly 10 million on tenancy yeah. sustainment and prevention that's yeah. the wrong way around yeah. like you know you wouldn't need the hundreds of millions if you'd actually invested properly this far up the stream yeah um yeah. i'm also and it was one of the the things that prompted me to contact you about this podcast actually um i was listening to a report um and they were talking about that 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 process of barrier handling mm. uh, and how you know it was described as full riot gear yeah and i thought and I, it, it's actually it's interesting you gave me a different perspective of it just there when you were talking about it because my initial response was what is the impact of that on a, a prisoner who has you know the reason they're they're being barrier handled is because they should be elsewhere they should be yeah. getting mental health support yeah and how how affecting that must be to to that to be your approach it's not compassionate yeah, yeah. it gave them the perspective of well there have been you know injuries because of you know of, of having prisoners in in the wrong space 
and, yeah. and this is therefore a, a necessary evil but how do you weigh that yeah i think it was um i think there's there's i think there's 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 no winners with with barrier handling at all i think um like i, I suppose i suppose the, the issue is that like these the, these 18 um people i think that are kind of on the waiting list i think it's 17 men and one woman uh, for the for kind of forensic uh, psychiatric waiting list in in the cent- new central mental hospital um, and that's due to capacity in central mental hospital i think they just can't take them there and i think that uh, it's not just prisons are affected i think other parts of the community are also affected but i suppose it's it's, it's important to say that Prison staff aren't trained to deal with. A pr- prison staff get trained for a very short period, and then they're kind of into kind of uh, the prison environment, um, and they're just not trained to to deal with people that are just so clinically unwell, um, often with kind of um, schizophrenia and kind of personality disorders and various things. So, and unfortunately, if if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail as such. So the only response you have is probably riot gears to to move someone through. But it's deeply it's deeply demeaning to the person who is being fire handled. Um, distress. I can only imagine the distress that if you are, if if you are having um kind of breakdown or if you're hearing kind of voices or various other things and under kind of deep distress, suddenly you have six heavily clad people entering your cell in full riot gear. You can't actually you can't even see their faces um to be to be moved in such a way as well so like that that i imagine that's only exacerbating but um but i suppose what, what's interesting as well is on the other side of that some figures come out i think during the week too um it really was a, a carte blanche i didn't know what to do with myself all this all this kind of reporting on on prisons uh but i think this is your weird christmas it is yeah yeah um and then i'll be it'll be a lull now until uh next year um but there was in relation to kind of mental health and to give you a sense of kind of the the prevalence of mental ill health within prisons to um about at the moment about 50 percent of prisoners are either being seen by a mental health professional or on a waiting list to be seen so that's about i think about was it about i think it was about 1400 people maybe in in february 23 um but then interestingly about six percent um of these have personality disorders so these are people that are that are very unwell in an environment and you can only imagine kind of an environment where you're left with your thoughts you're kind of you're locked back an awful lot that you can't mix that you have that it's only it's so it could only have an exacerbatory effects on that so so that's just to give you a sense of the scale and actually just to correct it actually only four prisoners are subject to barrier handling 18 are on the waiting list for central mental health but four are on the four are currently barrier handled as well just it's not 18 it's four but i suppose I think what's also on the state's mind as well is that um, in because there like there, there's there's been there's been a lot of other reports in the last while. I think yesterday there was a the health needs assessment for the prison service was published by Stephen Donnelly and Simon Harsey. I was this was kind of a cross departmental thing was reported. I haven't actually got into it yet. Um, but another thing that was the there was a high level task force on mental health and addiction, which I think. They reported various times and they've made a number of recommendations on how we kind of deal with the mental health crisis in prison too. Um, so there's lots of kind of reports being generated as well. But I think what's I think what's on the state's mind and the government's mind too is that back in 2020, we had a visit by uh, the Council of Europe, their Committee Against the Prevention of Torture. The last, the last thing that sticks in my mind from that was that the, as the committee members walked around prison they reported finding um a prisoner in clover hill remand prison and um, they were naked in their cell they discarded their poncho and um, they were covered in urine 
feces, the walls, and um, there's urine everywhere, or sorry, feces everywhere. So uh, a person in deep, deep distress. Um, and this was kind of, and so they issued very kind of stark findings based on kind of people with mental illness are being kind of treated in Ireland, but they're only finding they're only finding a kind of a carceral environment for that level of need. So I think that's kind of on the state's mind because we're that same committee is coming back in 2024, kind of next year. And I suppose the state are probably conscious that um, they don't want to seem to have been inactive in that time. Um, and likely, likely COVID and pandemic and various things will be kind of mitigating factors proffered by the state. But I suppose, unfortunately, all that's really kind of built up in the kind of the interim period between the two inspections have been more and more reports materially kind of and from an output point of view and from an outcomes point of view, very little has probably changed. And we're probably not even fully kind of we haven't even maybe seen kind of the the consequences of kind of of kind of the COVID response as well and kind of the level of quarantine where in in in, in cases it was needed um but often what's needed will also have unknown effects as well and kind of and kind of the exacerbation of mental Ill health too so so I suppose that's kind of on the state's mind as well to kind of to be seen to be active in kind of dealing with that as well um uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm really struck by your reference to the, the prison chaplain's report, you know, and that whole area of the, the high prevalence of people who didn't understand the nature of the punishment. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the the former lawyer in me, like, they shouldn't be there. They, you know, yeah. this isn't, no matter what the the response, no matter what the purpose of it, whether it's for rehabilitation or punishment, if you don't understand it, it's not going to land. So there needs to be a different response here. Yeah. Yeah, I think because I suppose if like like the like the state, like the purpose of the state is or sorry, the purpose of the prison service, I think their their the missions are their mission kind of statement is kind of secure custody, care and rehabilitation of offenders. Um but I think like an element of that is punishment that this the state are still they still want to issue sanctions based on kind of offenses. Um of what they deem to be offences and crimes, um, but like you said, if if a person if if a person doesn't understand kind of the the purpose of why they're there and kind of what the what the end point of this is meant to be, how am I meant to how are they meant to engage? Um, does it just become a distressing thing where they're removed from? Because if you have like I suppose as an adult, I I in a former life I worked in disability services and kind of the idea of routine and familiarity is kind of key to kind of having a sense of stability and having a uh, having a base to kind of navigate through life which is already difficult in some senses and like yeah, so is people will say oh prison's probably the place where you have the most routine but it's the unfamiliarity of it as well that you're not used to this that you have strangers new people you're maybe sharing with cell like you maybe you're not used to kind of sharing a cell with someone and um, various other things that i imagine really kind of um and then i suppose the ability to kind of express kind of your uh, kind of distress as well can you can you kind of articulate kind of why why you're finding this difficult and then and then i suppose if you can't articulate i suppose i'm i suppose i'm speculating here and i'm kind of maybe generalizing based on kind of maybe what we know about maybe um having worked with people with maybe developmental days but like if you can't then express kind of what's causing you to be distressed you'll act out and then if you act out in the prison environment that leads to your experience becoming or your time becoming much much worse too so yeah like i, th- I think there's I, I think there's certain there's certain kind of kind of lines you don't want to cross and i think sending people to prison with very obvious special special needs 
is there's no there's no there's no benefit to it there's no there's no win for anyone there like at any point i can't see any i can't see any merit to it um at all so yeah and i think it's i, I suppose it kind of it flags kind of the um i think the important role of the chaplaincies as well and kind of their their reports that they because i suppose within a prison within a prison setting chaplains are kind of the only independent advocates for prisoners in that they have no kind of their primary responsibility is kind of accompanying prisoners and being with them and kind of offering kind of pastoral support in whatever in whatever capacity that forms, whether that's material or spiritual or just kind of even kind of keeping them connected with their family. So I think so I think there is an importance to kind of their role because they're there, they're there every day. They kind of see this and they're they will be, I think, drawn to those that are most marginalized within kind of the prison environment, too. So. Um, yeah, so I think that was a very that was a very helpful kind of report, and those are all available too. They're, they're all published now for twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, I, I a long time ago when I was training as a solicitor, though they I don't know if Blackhole Place still do it. I really hope they don't, to be honest. Mm. Um, but they brought us on a trip to okay. Mountjoy to yeah. both uh, the the male and female prison in Mountjoy, and we got to see a cell. And I'd say there were probably were there ten of us in yeah. the group to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe a few more, but you know, ostensibly middle young twenties, middle age or middle age, middle class yeah. um, kids, basically, and me for fingers. Yeah. Um, and we turned up and we were shown around, and the prison guards are very, very nice, and they went through the history of the whole thing, and then they brought us up to see a cell, and it yeah. was a cell that was occupied. The yeah. occupant wasn't there at the time, um, but he came back. And yeah. we were invited to walk like, by the, the prison officer yeah. Yeah. to walk into the cell to see the size of it and yeah. to come back out. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I, like, and I actually refused to go in. I was like, I, I, this is somebody's space. Like, I don't yeah, want to be yeah. in this space. Yeah. That's their personal effects yeah. around. Like, I'm, I, I, was real, I felt really wrong about the whole yeah. thing. But this gentleman came back and the look of embarrassment yeah. About his like it was like being invited to someone's house and them saying, you know, God's really messy, I'm very sorry. The look yeah. of embarrassment. And I just thought he has no right to be embarrassed embarrassed yeah, yeah. here. He's no reason to be embarrassed here. Yeah. He should not be here. We should yeah. not be doing this. This is horrible. Yeah. yeah. And I remember having the conversation afterwards. We went across to Dokus, and at the time, you know, we're talking more than 15 years ago. At the time it yeah. was certainly comparatively much yeah. nicer. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, there was own rooms and there was all of that. Yeah. And we had the conversation afterwards. And like I I, I felt really impacted by it because I was yeah. saying, well, you know, what is the purpose of it? The the loss of liberty is enough. That's yeah. the punishment. Yeah. The the loss of that freedom to go wherever you choose to go. Yeah. That's the punishment. It shouldn't be in conditions like that, in yeah. slopping out in all of that. That's yeah. That's yeah. above the punishment level. That's too much. Yeah. And you can't thrive in yeah. that environment. Yeah. You know, you yeah, can barely but... sleep in it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's funny, like I think um it's it's almost it's a sensory overload, I think, in many ways, prison, because there's kind of there's there's the sounds, like it's it's a noisy environment. There's kind of the the smells. There's just kind of the just so many people in close proximity to each other too. Um but then when you step when you step into a cell, you kind of, I, I think it's it's maybe the the shock of from the the scale of maybe the the external size of the prison to kind of this this very small space of maybe 
two two and a half square meters kind of floor space. So um it, it is it just has a huge uh it just it, and that's just kind of an initial thing. But I suppose that I think you've I think you're touching on something very um interesting there. And I think it's that it's that maybe disconnect between those that are issuing sentences and those and kind of the, and where people are going. Because I think that idea of because it sounds like you were very affected by crossing the threshold into a prison and crossing that threshold into someone's cell. And I think I think for a lot of people, judges and for people um, that aspire to be judges, I think that would be an invaluable part of each person. And that's not to say that every person mightn't um, suddenly be uh, a kind of developing kind of compassion for, for the prisoner there. But at least they would have a familiarity with kind of the environment they're setting them into, because I think if you're if kind of if if the base if the base commitment is to kind of safe and humane imprisonment, if you're if you're sending people into overcrowded spaces and and kind of like overcrowded that leads to a lot of things like it leads to like if we're thinking about um like overcrowding leads to a lot of things like I think there's there's increased kind of tension and maybe interprisoner uh, violence and maybe increased violence and also increased violence between um the prison staff and prisoners. There's also it, it becomes as as more um as there's more prisoners it becomes harder to have rehabilitate rehabilitative services as well everything becomes overstretched that people mightn't get to their schools and kind of their work and various things as well so so that kind of maybe that aim um whether we agree with it or not rehabilitation or whether it's possible it becomes very difficult in an overcrowded environment but i think for i think for i think judges um would really benefit um and, and this and that's and i'm maybe generalizing the incredible amount but um to really to really kind of commit to understanding the environment they're sending people to because to to blindly send someone to a prison without kind of understanding the the nature of it at present um seems like an act of negligence in my part that you need to kind of at least be familiar with where you're going because that, that would shape kind of of how you kind of engage with those that come before you too because i know that's man because once again you have changed my perspective on something within the course of this conversation because i left there and yeah, as i said more than 15 years ago and i look back at it and i still feel a very deep sense of shame that i was there at all yeah. and i hated it and i thought i hope they they stopped doing this because it felt really intrusive and really yeah. upsetting yeah. Um, but really intrusive on the person because, you know, like it or lump it, this is that person's home and yeah. we had no right to cross that threshold. Yeah. But you make a really good argument to that, a really good yeah. counter argument to that, which is, but you know, there are people who are going to be on, you know, engaged in this space, who are going to yeah. be part of this yeah. system, who need to know what that looks yeah. like. And yeah. Because yeah. I know in the UK, for example, like in I'm not fully familiar with the UK system, but for within local magistrates, so I think people at kind of lower level courts, part of their training is that they have to spend kind of time within prison, kind of on a on a weekly basis, so that they are that they can't they can't become a local magistrate without at least having um having had the opportunity to kind of be within the prison space as well. But like you said, I imagine there are ways to do that without kind of it being distressing to kind of the person in prison too as well because there is there is that there is that kind of inherent shame um it does it does create shame amongst people too um so but i'm I'm sure there are ways around that as well um uh, i suppose we've touched on on so much in terms of of the current situation around around overcrowding and all the various reports the bonanza of reports that have come out in the last month or so in fact, you could build a new prison with them. I think that's my thing now. 
you can at least find you can at least lay the foundation for one anyway. Um, that would save some money anyway. It would, yeah, yeah. Is there anything in it? And I know you were saying, you know, you, your your background, you kind of you studied criminology. Was there anything in this that did or continues to surprise you within this space? I suppose there's two there's there's two things really. And and this isn't this isn't just thinking about this isn't just thinking about prisons. I'm maybe thinking probably more at the policy level and kind of the, the level of debate here. Um, because not that much surprises me about kind of prison itself anymore. But I suppose what, what's interesting, kind of the narrowness of debate amongst um, politicians and uh, within Ireland on prison policy, because I suppose we had, we've had various, it's, it's typically, I think all our um, all our ministers for justice are, are typically kind of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, um, and Fine Gael typically take the minister for justice um, role because I think they've positioned themselves as this law and order party too. Um, but even within the opposition parties, there's there's very limited discourse on on how we kind of really kind of think more radically um, about prison. Because I suppose if we're if we're thinking about the future, like I would struggle, to, you would struggle to name kind of the Sinn Féin spokesperson for justice. Um, and I suppose there's there's historical things here where there's maybe a a consciousness about maybe speaking about prisons and being critical of prisons and being critical of the guards uh, or on Garda Síochána um, and various other kind of elements of the criminal justice system too. So there's probably caution. But I suppose that that leads me to worry that maybe whenever the next government is formed, if kind of the if the main opposition party are part of that, it it there won't be maybe new ideas brought to it. It'll just be kind of maybe the status uh, quo maintained. And there might be an even more deferential or deference to kind of the Department of Justice that kind of leads civil servants too. Because I suppose interestingly, I suppose I'm maybe being a little bit unfair there as well, because back in 2013, there was there was a joint Oireachtas report on penal reform and they actually produced some. So this is about 10 years ago. They produced some very kind of, I think, very good findings and kind of recommendations. And one of their main recommendations was to reduce prison population by a third. Um, so that was to take it well down and then also to kind of expand remission. So remission is kind of the time you get off at the end of your sentence and also kind of expand structure release too. So these were kind of very... Um, in policy terms, very progressive kind of uh, recommendations. This was 10 years ago, but unfortunately, this was kind of put to one side. It was, we've done something nice here and this is, and we've took a different path now. But but I suppose at present, there, the debate within within politics, like there are no votes in, in prisons. Um, there's nothing to be, there's only votes to be gained with being hard, being kind of been seen to be hardline, being tough. Because even, even um, like you see that often, like kind of populist things come up, like kind of, young lads with knives in inner city like that's just it's just kind of it almost feels like a moral panic at a certain time um so i suppose that that's kind of something that that surprised me that we've never we've never developed kind of a broad kind of um discourse that there are other options beyond kind of the status quo that we're currently engaged on and i suppose i suppose it's just been the longevity of the prison too it's just the prison has been as other like I know other other European countries are also struggling with overcrowding. Like you look to Belgium and France, they're all struggling with, with overcrowding at present. But some countries have um really reduced their prison population. So I suppose I'm just surprised that we have maintained this focus on the prison. And I suppose it is maybe it's part of just maintaining kind of justice minister being kind of progressive democrat, Finnefall or Finnegale minister, that it's very conservative, that it's kind of the idea of prison expansion seems a good thing because I suppose what I find kind of interesting as well is that there's the idea of prison expansion at present um is is probably is probably it's the, it's the worst idea it just and I think it should be 
it, it should be concerning to kind of those that are working in housing and environment too, because when you build a prison, there are a number of things happen. I think from a housing perspective, I really kind of, we already kind of touched on it was the idea that like the housing ministers come out recently and said that they're going to bring um, builders and various kind of skilled workers from South Africa. They're going to create pathways for that um, to Ireland to kind of augment kind of our industry capacity. So, um, so then you have the, so you have the housing minister saying this and one things, and then you have suddenly you have the minister just saying, look, we're going to build another more five. We're going to build five more prison wings to house six hundred people. Um, so where's that capacity coming from? And then I suppose, I think environmental people should be concerned too because to build such huge buildings, you have a lot of I suppose embodied carbon within that processes too. Um, because when you build a prison, you're looking at a lifespan of probably a hundred years or more. You're kind of you're setting yourself on a particular trajectory to the future. Whereas the prudent thing, and I suppose even to talk in the language of Finnafall uh, or sorry Fine, Fine Gael, it's a kind of financial prudence. Um, but we all know it's kind of financial prudence for some people, and it's kind of largesse for others. But to think about prudence in this sense is to not build more prisons where you have to. Because it's not just the cost of building the prisons, it's then the cost of staff and them too. So you have just these ongoing costs. So you're kind of building an increased kind of IPS budget every year to kind of meet those kind of staff and cost price things. So I'm just kind of surprised about that. I'm surprised there's been no kind of there's been there's been very little. It's been a very muted response, I think, politically and kind of from civil civil society too. I think, and, and maybe that is the case as you mentioned. I think it's a very useful point that idea of silos too, is that we often think that this area within within maybe justice or housing or health doesn't affect us, but whereas um, it actually has 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 profound kind of implications too. I'm, ju- I'm just kind of surprised that we've never really progressed kind of beyond kind of this conservative kind of approach to prisons and this kind of centrality of the prison. This is the only, this is the only way that works um, when other countries have shown it doesn't. And I suppose bringing it back to, you know, policy and, and learnings from other countries, like what, what would be your areas of reform your top three your top five should we yeah. get prisons all together we, we can we, yeah we, we can uh, we can talk about kind of the future of prisons but i suppose if we're thinking about kind of policy responses kind of i suppose if we if we maybe if we did kind of categorize them as short medium and long term which i think is is always a helpful way to do it i think kind of in the immediate and kind of in the in the short term I think increased use of enhanced remission would be good. So, so where so remission is kind of the period that everyone's entitled to kind of standard remission, which is a quarter off your sentence at the end, based on kind of particular behaviour requirements and kind of engagement. And um, there's also enhanced remission, which is can only be kind of authorised by the minister, and that's based on other kind of criteria too. So, I think remission could be very quickly increased to standard remission to a third and enhanced remission to a half. Um, so if because there's only so much you can punish a person for too for particular offences. There will always be people that need to be removed from society because they pose a very real risk to people and to communities. But largely I think enhanced remission could immediately kind of free up a lot of space within prisons and kind of but that would that would require kind of I suppose immediate funding to kind of the the supports and the transitional supports that are there too. So that's kind of a short term one. I think another short term one is kind of the expansion of housing first for those that are being released from prison. That and particularly one bed apartments too. Um because I think that I think housing because I imagine it would be a huge benefit to a lot of female prisoners who are released and and men are released too because it gives that stability and kind of it reduces kind of recidivism. It allows kind of the stability of a of a home 
would then permit better engagement in mental uh, health supports and addiction supports. So this is kind of short term things. I think medium term is very much kind of the alternatives to imprisonment and kind of the the diversion away from criminal justice system to mental health support. So if, if a person, if their offending is related to mental health issues or addiction issues, then they should be diverted away kind of at a very early stage. Um, and this would require kind of diverting then the funding that the minister is committed to capital funding to kind of probation service and then to other kind of NGOs and charities that are working kind of in that kind of uh, space of, of alternative uh, sanctions. And then I suppose long-term, and this would be, I think this is kind of, long-term is really about community investment um, because I think you could probably cast a net over certain parts of Dublin where which will make up large parts of our prison population. And I suppose the issue is that um, and you'd be, I suppose you'd be familiar with Colette, kind of the the huge kind of after the kind of the the financial crash, there was a huge cutting of kind of community development, kind of investment, and um, particularly at grassroots level too. That I think for it was an opportunity to kind of I think uh, corral them back into line after kind of maybe them becoming very focused on advocacy and too, and kind of really kind of voicing the concerns of um kind of communities. So it, it would be really be a chance to kind of reinvest because like. Like if we look at kind of the number of people that have been, if we look at kind of the breakdown of people that have been sent to prison, about I think about twenty percent are kind of young people between eighteen to twenty four, and um, so this kind of suggests to me that kind of huge investment. And the thing is that you can't just kind of say, look, we're going to be kind of, we're going to be kind of piecemeal here. There's going to be an extra couple of million here. You're going to, you can't just have kind of um, Joe O'Brien coming out and saying, look, we're going to have a couple million here, a couple million here. If you don't invest in communities for over a decade you kind of have to pay the piper at a certain stage and say, look, we're going to commit to actually really invest in here that this needs to be kind of all the, all the kind of the, all the youth workers, all the kind of after school clubs to really kind of divert kind of young people away from kind of the potential risk to being involved in crime and kind of giving them pathways to kind of education, to work, to traineeships. So, and that kind of, and that, that costs a lot of money um, and that will be seen as maybe being profligate by others and it will be criticised. But I think that's kind of where the long term has to be that to kind of to really commit to these communities that have been failed for large parts of a decade yeah, or for generations. I, actually. I um, like your use of the words you're going to have to pay the piper at some point, because the reality is we already are. You know, we're absolutely. paying for it in mental health services, we're paying for it in prison services to the tune of 80 grand a year, yeah. you know not investing in the community side or in the social side means that you're going to end up paying for it in other yeah. areas in those yeah. silos yeah. Um, rather than having that joined up thinking that says yeah. well if we have uh, yeah. stable homes and proper community supports and proper access to opportunities yeah. like education and employment and all of those things that are real and meaningful then we don't see it down the line in we don't see it down the line in the health sector and the, and the state and the state know this. The government know this. Like the there's like uh, like they know very like the idea. To, I think to use the term you used earlier on the idea of upstream and downstream investment. So if you invest upstream, so kind of at the early stages of people's lives. So particularly like even even kind of like 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 childhood area based childhood programs, all those various things that kind of try to engage families that may be kind of at risk at earlier stages. Um. So there's lots of. But then whenever you kind of get to downstream, whenever you have all the various things like criminal cr- criminal involvement, kind of addiction, mental health, various things, the costs are exponential when, when you get into kind of the cost of imprisonment. Like like 100 million goes a long way into community development, whereas 100 million is a flash in the pan in kind of prison budget. So 
so yeah so it's a choice of where you want to kind of um do that and but i suppose politically i don't see i don't see where i don't see any kind of courage for anyone to kind of really take that on and champion it like nobody no like and i have i have very little optimism that anyone would at any stage it's just to be seen to be seen as soft and that is to seen to kind of side with the the offender over the victim whereas the argument is that if you that though it will be spun that you aren't kind of maybe considering the role of the victim that if you if we continue on this path and kind of marginalize and kind of reject communities um we're going to have more victims in the future and there's going to be we need for more and more prison spaces so um and then i suppose um i think you touched on it and i think you're i think you're just kind of drawing to my uh my kind of crazy notions at this stage (laughs) um, and maybe like um should we get rid of prisons altogether um i think i think you did this on purpose um try to make me sound make me sound crazy in public um but yeah i think and I think this is maybe what I was getting at, kind of in the narrowness of kind of political debate in in Ireland on prison policy. Um, and particularly, I think the idea of the idea of path dependency is very useful here. Is that you set if you go on a certain path with prisons. So if you kind of expand prisons, and if you say that if you say that the prison is going to be our primary response to kind of social order, then you kind of limit the choices that future politicians can make. So if you kind of if you build an extra 600 spaces now you very much that's going to be very difficult for for politicians in the future to start closing prisons and kind of reducing prison populations um so i think there really needs to be kind of um an increased kind of consideration of abolitionist thought within prisons and the initial response when people talk about kind of prison abolition and the idea of closing prisons um like i'm not advocating for we just some kind of pollyanna type approach where we just fire the doors open um, let everyone out and just let the cards land where they may kind of thing like that's not what that's not what kind of prison abolition suggests like I think um, the vast the vast majority of abolitionists would be of the mind that there are always a small portion of people that um, that need to be kind of removed from society because of the risk they pose to to others and to communities that they're just very kind of maybe dangerous kind of individuals um, but for a large part if we think about um if we think about kind of um so that's kind of so that's kind of that kind of rebuttal to that response but then so there's then then i suppose there's people on the other side then like maybe in america where we see kind of communities that are really affected by racial injustice and over policing they're kind of they want to abolish the police and abolish kind of the criminal justice system as itself because they argue that it's that it's kind of based on kind of racial foundation or racial foundations um so so there's kind of there's there's huge there's huge kind of shades of abolitionist thought, but I suppose I would be of the position that we need to actually we need to start kind of really and this isn't to say that I'm against modernization of of prisons, but because I, I think there are kind of there are parts of our prison service that need modernization, that there are kind of old Victorian wings and various things, but we don't need to be kind of building new capacity, and um, so we need to be kind of moving towards um, reducing prison populations um, and. Like there's lots of there's lots of low hanging fruit there. Like like we talked about earlier, kind of the number of people that are there on sentences of less than six months for for theft and related kind of offences. Like that's that's low hanging fruit if ever there was. And then if we're thinking about even more low hanging fruit, like we're thinking about women in prison. Like I like I'd imagine like we often kind of suggest in the centre that there's probably about there's probably about maybe five or ten women that you could probably make a case that they may pose a risk to others and to the community that they're in. 
But the vast majority there, like kind of when we when we look at kind of the rates of methadone usage within the the, the women's prisons, kind of their offense, their offense profile, kind of their their kind of caregiving responsibilities, like you could make a very easy case. Like like a lot of a lot of their offenses aren't aren't against the person. They're they're against kind of property. So it's either public order or kind of shoplifting to kind of provide for others. So um if we can kind of start to and I suppose what what abolitionist thought actually also introduces is kind of the idea that so like say for example if 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 I go in and, and shoplift something so say I go in and grab her shoes and I would be prosecuted by the state then so the the the, the offense then becomes the, the conflict becomes about between me and the state so I'm I'm against kind of the institution of the state but whereas abolitionist thought can they they consider it at a lower level so kind of probably thinking probably really influenced by kind of that Catholic idea of subsidiarity kind of you always try to deal with social issues kind of at the lowest level of complexity so they would kind of understand that if I shoplift if I take a pair of new balance and head off on my merry way this is a conflict between me and the shopkeeper so there needs to be kind of consideration given to how I make the shopkeeper right maybe how we introduce kind of restorative justice how I kind of understand kind of my offense uh, various things they got there but then also what 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 how, how the state then can step in to kind of provide the supports that I need whether that and often they're very material supports to kind of that I don't need to shoplift that I have kind of a, a kind of a, a I kind of have a there's a floor to kind of um or kind of there's there's a minimum level of that are, is provided for me so I have kind of a stable secure home I have kind of enough resources for myself and my family to kind of um to participate in society all that kind of stuff so there's so that's kind of why i think abolitionist thought is important but it's it's it hasn't developed in ireland like i think it typically is developed out of um either particularly in trade union movements but because ireland's trade union movement is very middle class but we wouldn't have had that kind of working class trade union where they would have had kind of uh kind of a solidarity with those that are in prison too so so yeah, so that's kind of why I think maybe abolitionist thought is a useful thing because I think like there's one abolitionist, um, and I'll, I'll kind of I'll maybe uh, I'll, I'll draw this point to a close, but he's a Norwegian criminologist, Thomas Matheson, and he kind of he wrote a very, very famous book in the 1990s uh, called Prison and Trial, where he talked about um, he kind of he took the aims of imprisonment, which are often stated as kind of deterrence, retribution, incapacitation, and rehabilitation. And he, t- he took kind of these four, he took kind of the aims of imprisonment at its own base value and kind of critiqued it based on those purposes. And he basically came to the conclusion that, look, prison is a fiasco, even by its own purposes, it's failing drastically. So from a case of deterrence or rehabilitation, it's an, it's an abject failure. So if, if that's kind of the case, then we need to be open to kind of new ideas because prison in itself is a very new concept like it's only it's only about 400 years old the idea of a prison so what's to say that imprisonment will be there in in 100 years that there may be other alternatives or other solutions found to kind of how we deal with social order and various things so so yeah so that's kind of a that's kind of where i'll stake a flag um, on that Um, (laughs) and just something that struck me when you were saying you know in 100 years and then i I will wrap this up we're not in the space yet of of for-profit prisons you know we we don't have the u.s model do you reckon we're we'll get there that's a good question i think and i hope I, I suppose I hope that it it will re- it will retain the, that the prisons will maintain within the public uh, service as such. Um, like you look you look across to the UK and stuff, and like with kind of the proliferation of G4S type prisons, so it's, and and in some cases I think 
some of these for private prisons are being taken back into control of the state due to kind of really horrific findings and inspection reports and kind of I think there like there's like I think even a common thing was kind of the high rate of maternal death uh, like in for for women um miscarrying various things in prison so really kind of um really horrific reading in the UK on that but I really hope we don't and I don't I haven't heard it I haven't heard it articulated and I suppose even even from kind of the period in the 2000s when we were thinking about having a super prison in Thornton Hall I think that was still very much a public kind of enterprise as such so so um it's definitely something to watch the space, and I, I think it's definitely something to be vigilant of because there are probably there are probably things where, if particular areas of the crisis were to kind of to endure, I think you could have political parties that would have a, a disposition towards privatization of public services, um, because I think it's very important that the connection between the public who pay kind of our taxes and prisons that are part of that. Um, that connection isn't broken um, by kind of a, a for-profit thing because ultimately prisons are acting on our behalf, that it's kind of they're part of kind of the, kind of the I suppose the, the democratic, or they're kind of what people, so people are in prison based on our behalf, so we kind of, it's important for us to kind of have ownership of that too, that if people are in overcrowded prisons, that's that's on us too, as much as um, as the uh, politicians and kind of civil servants too. So, um, but I suppose to answer your question, I I haven't heard any murmurings of it, and I suppose I do have some hope that that's not going to be on our horizon, um, because it doesn't it doesn't bring good things. Completely and utterly agree. I would dearly hope in the in this time of privatizing absolutely everything, yeah. um, that that's not the way. Because I think you're right, and you raise a really good point there in relation to just being a stakeholder yeah. and how important it yeah. is that the taxpayer yeah. continues to be a stakeholder. Um, uh, that there is some level of oversight, whether they publish the reports or not. Absolutely, um, yeah. That they are being written, that they yeah. are being looked at by somebody. However, um, I'm 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 worried now that you might have took from this meeting that there's a there's a niche in the market for a private prison, Colette. Um, I probably <laughs> I, I, I don't want to hear about you entering the market as a as a private operator anytime yeah. soon. Um, <laughs> oh God, this this podcast will be the reason for the, the new level of funds coming into yeah, yeah. prisons. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you. I'll give you the ethical cover on it. Let we'll work it. We'll, we'll, we'll work something out. Um, and with that, um, I'm going to say thank you so much and a learning experience as always. Um, and I will certainly probably around this time next year when the next raft of reports come out. Um, we'd love to have you again. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Colette. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want more information on Keith's work or that of the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice, check out their website jcfj.ie. And until next time, stay safe.